Sarah, would you turn the lights on a little brighter? So tonight we'll have small groups, and uh, I'll say a little bit about that before we meet in small groups. If you didn't get the uh, email sent earlier in, uh, at the end of last week, I guess, uh, make sure to let me know at the end. Um, but uh, you don't have to wait because the email is basically just saying go to the website, which is common, uh, buddhaststudies.commongroundmeditation.org. And the talk from week one is up now, thanks to Scott and Michelle for taking care of that for all of us. So if you weren't here last week and you want to listen to the talk, it's there for you. And there's also a number of readings. And for people who are newer to the Buddhist Studies program, I don't often give specific readings. Um, You might hear me reading from one of the readings, and that might inspire you to go track that particular reading down. Or you might want to snoop around and just see which articles you're drawn to. Um, sometimes I'll find that one is, you know, especially good, and I'll let people know that. So, but uh, feel free just to start digging in. I'll try to give uh, you a little heads up what we'll be talking about each week, so that you can look through the articles for that particular topic. Like this week, we're talking about Hiri Otapa, this wholesome fear or concern, wholesome regret, sometimes translated as moral shame and uh, as a sort of protecting force in the mind and very much related to this discussion of karma. Next week we'll talk more specifically about the three wholesome and unwholesome roots, so that's something you can dig into if you want uh, in your study and, in, of course, in your practice especially. Any questions about the nuts and bolts of the class? Good. So we'll have small groups, so um, we have about 30 minutes for me to share a few thoughts, and then we'll break into groups of three. And probably one of the most important things to say right out at the start of specifically talking about wholesome regret, wholesome fear, or wholesome concern in the mind, and then just more generally the whole field of karma, the whole discussion of karma. And I think somebody brought it up uh, last week in our discussion and it has to do with um, somehow holding both the relative and the absolute or the relative and the ultimate truths or perspectives because it's really easy when we start talking about wholesome roots and unwholesome roots and concern that arises or fear that arises in the mind and regret and shame that arises in the mind it really feels like uh, this is exactly what I'm trying to get away from. <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to be, as human beings, uh, there's often this tendency towards a spiritual bypass. Like, I just don't want to deal with feeling bad anymore. I don't trust feeling bad. Because in a way, we've overused feeling bad in life. It's like, there's been a lot of that shooting on ourselves and we've gotten that from our parents and from our bosses and from other authority figures about some idea of being bad and we've internalized it of course 
So we're doing it to ourselves a lot, where we feel we're doing something wrong or being bad or no good. And a lot of that is, is coming not out of wisdom, but out of ignorance. And so, rightfully so, we've learned to mistrust it. That sort of parental voice. So we have this maybe confused or um, what's the word? schizophrenic relationship with our conscience. You know, on the one hand, we can't live without it. And on the other hand, because to some degree it's not purified, neurotic, we don't trust it. We don't trust that voice, that inner voice that's saying, are you sure you should be doing this now? You're being bad again. You're going to go to hell. Or whatever our voice, inner voice says. Or, you know, the other voices around us say, or we think they're saying. Now, what is that person thinking about me? So, it is tricky, this, because, you know, from a non-dual perspective, it's just nature happening. But from a dualistic perspective, you know, we're a human being trying to be good, because when we're bad, it really hurts. So this is the key that whenever we're encountering that force of wholesome concern, you know, we specifically put the word wholesome before, you know, not neurotic fear, but wholesome concern, not neurotic shame, but wholesome regret. What, what we're talking about is somehow the, the past is informing the present moment. Like all of the bumps, all of the ouches from the past, all the mistakes from the past aren't just lost. That somehow they're active right now in the present moment. They're informing this moment. And the way they inform this moment is through that feeling of concern and that feeling of regret. So it's a it's an actual visceral Besides being some mental content like, honey, are you sure? There's actual, actually a visceral feeling. That's what the whole point of that visceral feeling is to get our attention. You know, that tightness in the chest. Like, are you, do you really want to do that? So did that feel good to have done that? How does this taste? Why does this feel so... Why do I feel off? Did I do something wrong? What did I do? What did I say? Was that really right to have said that? So, otherwise we're driving blind. That's why the Buddha calls us a protecting force in our lives. Because without the past informing the present moment, it's like we haven't learned anything. And the only way the past can inform the present moment is, you know, as we're moving through life, it's like this particular situation, being in front of a group of people and talking, is reminding me of all of those times I've been in front of a group of people and talking, and all of the mistakes I've made being in front of a group of people and talking. You know, like uh, getting caught up in some way, you know, uh, you know, caught up in my own emotions. Sometimes that happens when I'm talking, maybe those of you who give public talks, know this where you can kind of get caught in the energy and you sort of lose yourself um, and 
you know, afterwards it feels, we feel the feeling of being, having been disconnected. And it doesn't feel good. It feels like we've been disconnected. And then a little embarrassed, a little shameful, you know, that wholesome regret like, oh, I wasn't being very real or authentic. I wasn't really there. I was just sort of, it's like the near enemy. Some of you know that for each of the divine abodes of loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity, there's a near enemy. Something that sort of looks like love or looks like compassion, looks like appreciative joy or equanimity, but isn't really that. And the near enemy of appreciative joy is exuberance. You know, we're, we're kind of caught, we're appreciating, but then we start to get caught, identified with the joy of appreciating somebody's success, and we lose ourselves. We're not really connected to the person. We're not really appreciating that person's happiness. We're kind of lost in our own world of, isn't it wonderful? And so, you know, that's just one way then that I experience that wholesome regret. Like, oh. Or like if I'm not sure about what I'm saying, but I am embarrassed about it, so I pretend that I'm sure. You know, I just sort of muscle my way through the talk, (laughs) hoping that I'll get to territory that I have some confidence about. Instead of stopping or instead of regrouping or dropping that and kind of going on to something that I feel confident about. And then that also, like, not necessarily in the moment, sometimes, but then later, you know, just feeling that yucky taste in the mouth. And see, then the question is, how are we going to relate to that imprint? Like, the past isn't forming the present moment. How am I going to relate to it? So, are we going to take in that shame, that wholesome shame or wholesome regret as a teacher? Oh, what do you, what do you have to say to me? What, what do you want to say? You know, I'm all yours. I'm going to listen. Or maybe we don't feel it until we're about to give another talk, and then it arises as wholesome fear, wholesome concern, like, okay, this is a lot like that other situation, you know? So be careful, because whatever you did last time, it hurt. You don't want to hurt again, do you? So be careful. Really be attentive to what you're doing. So this is that wholesome fear. Now how can we engage this part of the mind, these protecting forces in the mind, without sliding into some kind of toxic or neurotic self-hatred? You know, beating ourselves up, oppressing ourselves in one way, subtle way or not so subtle way. So we want to... You know, we want, we need the past to be informing our life. So we want to respect that. We want to actually attune to it. I'll read later, if I have a chance, some of the passages from the Buddha where he talks in very graphic terms about the need, basically saying that without this force, um, to a large degree, we just have our animal natures. You know, that sort of where brutality or strength uh, gets to call the shots. And it's this 
capacity we have as human beings, you know, of empathy. I'm sure animals do to some degree. Other animals besides human animals can do that too. But, you know, generally humans are more distinct in our capacity to empathize, to understand, and to refrain, even when, you know, we could get more because we're stronger or we have power. Or we could lie and get away with it. But we know we're lying. So that's really that moral force, isn't it? Where even if we could get away with it, we don't do it because of this, these protecting forces in the heart that know it isn't right and it hurts. Some of you know, right before the Buddha died, he talked about apamada, the path to the deathless. Apamada means vigilance. You know, vigilance and not, again, this is like so easy to think of as getting tight. I have to be vigilant. I have to be heedful. But this, uh, this vigilance isn't about that tightness. It's like... Uh, it's like a protecting force, like I care. It's really a coming out of compassion. I really care about what's happening. And again, from a relative point of view, we know that life, there are a lot of holes that we can fall into. So why wouldn't we want to be alert, be vigilant? And it's easy to get complacent. I feel this way sometimes driving, um, you know, where I'm listening to the radio or whatever. And uh, it's like it's useful in a way that's not neurotic. It's useful to remember that I'm traveling at 70 miles an hour and it's easy to space out. And it's easy for other people to space out. You know, honey... Be vigilant. Be awake. Be aware. You know, I, I think maybe I mentioned it last week, or but in my relationship with my wife, too, it's like I notice it's very easy to get complacent and not feel like, you know, what I say, what I do matters. Because, you know, she's in it for the long run. Right? <laughs> 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 or so we think. And it's like, uh, but it can be skillful to remember that, you know, that everything, including partnerships, they're built on causes and conditions. And those causes and conditions that are supporting it can be eroded without ever seeing that they're being eroded until the whole thing implodes. And then it's too late to put it back together. This happens with our health, too, right? For, due to lack of concern, lack of regret, we just push the body, do things over and over again, and all of a sudden... So it's like, can we attune to that subtle, intuitive voice that's saying, Honey, that didn't feel good. That's the regret, right? After doing something where the... The conscience says, honey, that didn't feel good. Why did we do that? 
would there have been, could there have been a different way, different thing to have done? Or as we're in an environment where we might do something similarly, you know, honey, be careful, remember, you did that before, where in a situation like this, you did that. Do you really want to do that again? How many times when we were younger, maybe you still do it now, but how many times when we were younger did we get really drunk or stoned or something and do something stupid and the next day kind of go, what was I thinking? You know? Until that that sort of voice of conscience was there, showed up as we were starting to drink again or whatever. You know, enough so that we made a different choice. Like, yeah, maybe I don't need to do that again in that way. So, a lot, you know, a lot of the times in this, this path, we think that, you know, because it's just nature happening, that we don't need to listen to these voices because it's just impersonal anyway. That on this personal level, we want to sort of work with personal wisdom. And personal wisdom, first and foremost, arises as this voice coming out of the past. Basically, the wisdom, the hard-earned wisdom from the past. And it, and it speaks in a particular language, you know, the language of the conscience. And it hurts. I mean, in a, in a good sort of way. And so it, that's how it speaks to us. And so we need to learn to respect it. All the way through, it's not like we ever stop respecting it. In fact, the deeper insights, you know, the deeper insights that, that demonstrate that everything is impersonal and it's just stuff happening, stuff being known, that actually allows us to be more attuned to our conscience. Because we don't have any defensive stance or any agenda. It's like it, that, that sort of voice of conscience goes right immediately and forms action. There's no intermediary. That's what the deeper insights do, is it removes the intermediary. You're like, should I listen to my conscience or not? One of the things you might want to do in your small groups tonight is talk about places in your life where your conscience operates pretty cleanly, like it immediately informs your choices, how you're acting, and other places in your life where you don't want to trust your conscience, you know, because it's a pain in the butt. It's telling you to do something you don't want to do, or it's telling you to not do something you do want to do. Is it a special night? <laughs> the devas are happy. Hey? <laughs> so you can, it'd be interesting just to look like, like where, like I noticed, just uh, in terms of being on the internet and. Uh, certain things that I want to look at on the internet, you know, how the websites have things that are really provocative. I mean, there's always, even like so-called wholesome websites or websites where you think it's pretty good journalism, there's always going to be some article, if not every day, every week, that's about sex in one way or another. Um, or 
something else that's really provocative that we don't really have any business knowing, but yet we want to know. And those, I find, are really good places to watch my conscience and to watch all the different ways that I'll subvert it. You know, like, oh, it doesn't matter, or, you know, oh, it'll be practice, or, you know, just... (laughs) (laughs) And as I mentioned, I think I mentioned this last week, you know, sometimes we're just too dense of an organism to listen to the conscience. We really need to be beaten again and again by the experience. Like, once again, we have to prove to ourselves that it actually hurts. It's not enough that we had some concern ahead of time and there was some intuition. Are you sure? You know, I'm not sure. It seems okay. You know, I, I'll just see it. I'll just be there. I won't get caught up. But there we are afterwards, you know, and we shut it off and then we feel like we've been hit by a truck or we feel flat, like the mind has been zapped in some way and we feel like uh, empty and not in a Buddhist sense, but <laughs> in a hollow sort of desolate sense, you know, that it might take a couple days in a good retreat to recover from. And then it, then it occurs to us, oh yeah, yeah. And see, in those moments when we're feeling some of that regret, that if we respect it, then what we're doing is we're allowing the ouch of the regret to really land. That's how we honor that voice of wisdom. After we've done something stupid, something harmful to ourselves and others, then the best thing we can do is really feel the ouch of that unskillful action. It's not neurotic to feel the ouch when we've done something unskillful. Because what we're doing is we're planting wholesome seeds. We're, we're really directly experiencing that, oh, that was unwholesome. When the heart-mind does that, it feels like this. We're getting that connection in a very real way. So it's more likely then to arise as wholesome concern when we're in the vicinity of doing something similar in the future. So we want to respect it. And you might share your own places where you notice that battle, you know, where there is that intuitive conscience speaking to you. Ouch, that hurt. Or, ooh, be careful. And what do you do with it? Like places in your life where you really seem to listen to it. Like when I speak of falsehood, that generally, uh, any voice around that, I, I generally listen to. But there are other places, like I mentioned, that I, I still need to get sort of beaten up. And again, we could whip up a lot of self-hatred around these kinds of discussions, but you want to look at this in an impersonal way. These are impersonal forces operating in our lives. You know, the force of uh, feeling that pain afterward. So what we add to it is recognizing that these are natural forces, natural protecting forces. They're not personal. Conscience isn't personal. It operates naturally as the past delivers its punches and also its joys. So it's not always we're learning from the pain, right? We're also learning from joy and from other wholesome states that arise when different kinds of choices are being made, like 
letting go or restraining ourselves from being unskillful or being generous or being forgiving, which is a kind of letting go. Well, I had about an hour's worth of stuff to read with you, share with you rather. But maybe we'll cover a little bit more next week, but I want to make sure we have time for the discussion. And uh, I want to give you a few other thoughts to, to share. So where in life there is wisdom of karma, a heightened moral sensitivity, you know, this wholesome fear, this wholesome regret, where in life it's missing, where the past is informing the present, where you're blinded, where you're not, your experience or your choices are not being informed by the past. And then there's this thing we'll talk more about next week, but you could also talk in your small groups about this distillation, where as you see your conscience operating more and more, you begin to distill what it's telling you. So that, in a sense, we're, general, we're beginning, the mind, wisdom, is beginning to generalize the lessons from the past. You know, that greed always hurts. Hatred always hurts. Delusion or disconnection always hurts. Clarity always feels good and leads to what's good. Kindness always feels good and leads to what's good. Generosity, letting go always feels good and leads to what's good. So then, it's like that makes the conscience more nimble. So then, even if we're encountering a situation in our lives that's unlike anything we've experienced, because to some degree, wisdom has distilled the underlying principles of the skillful roots and the unskillful roots of all action, then it can sort of... uh, wisdom can operate in this moment even though we've never been in this kind of moment before because we don't need to know that hitting somebody is wrong because we know that that intention of hatred or that intention of fear isn't helpful so however it's going to manifest regardless of the particular action that it's calling for we already the mind knows this it recognizes this as being unskillful So, that's another thing you can talk about is how your mind has begun to generalize some of these so you're seeing it in different places in your life. I mean, I I would imagine that a lot of us could think of situations where we were surprised by how skillful we were in that situation. And then, if we look back in hindsight, like, why, why were we so skillful? How did that happen? We should, you know, if we were mindful, then we should be able to break it down and see that somehow the mind recognized all of the impulses to be unskillful. It recognized that they were unskillful. It felt the ouch before it actually did anything. It's like that's the thing about understanding intentions. Before we actually do something unskillful, just the impulse to do it just the, the about to do it tastes bad. It kind of gives us a little taste of what it would be like to actually do it. And that's enough. The mind, if it's sensitive enough, it will recognize it. And this is another thing you can talk about, just general sensitivity. 
general what we're calling moral sensitivity but if you have a bad relationship with the word moral then use a different word but there's a general moral sensitivity that we cultivate this is why there's such a big deal about developing tranquility because not only does it feel good to be calm but we just are so much more sensitive we just hear more and see more and feel more so when conscience our conscience arises it's like felt loud and clearly but when we're dull and distracted and scattered and overwhelmed by life our conscience could be screaming at us but it's just not going to make as much of an impact because our mind is scattered sort of being pulled in different directions we're not really hearing anything clearly let alone our own inner voice or the voice of wisdom and as I mentioned you could also talk about you know just like not liking your conscience and just that whole relationship with your conscience I mean what came to mind as I was thinking about this today is just when I was like in 7th and 8th grade and some of the boys were doing bad things and I just my conscience was very loud and clear and you know some of it was neurotic and some of it was really protecting I think and uh, but I just remember how loud it was and how I didn't like it in a way you know because it made me different than a lot of other people and I felt different I felt alone in that being different but I felt protected by it too you know and I had some neurotic pride in it self-righteous pride in it I remember so it wasn't pure uh, but it was still protecting but I but I, I distinctly remember feeling somewhat oppressed by uh, you know not wanting not willing to tell my parents a lie for example um, it was limiting <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then I've mentioned this before, but places where you uh, you've noticed you allow yourself to shut off conscience, your conscience. You just don't trust it. It's there, but somehow you don't believe it. And it may be true. I mean, remember, our conscience is only as accurate as it is. Wisdom, whatever wisdom we have, it's only as good as it is. And probably we can be pretty assured that our wisdom isn't perfect. So we'll never know when our voice the voice of our conscience is speaking we'll never know how wise it is it's just going to inform the moment however well it can however well we have have understood the past so in that moment in the past when we had an experience however well we connected the cause and effect dots that this pain arose because of that we may totally misread the moment and we think oh I'm feeling this pain because she's a jerk so I got to stay away from her well that's you know maybe we're misreading it maybe we're feeling this because uh, we've thrown somebody out of our heart and really that's the reason for the pain so that kind of impact in the heart when it arises later in another situation it's not going to be delivering very useful information but it will be what it is so I'll leave it here. We'll split up into groups of three. I have no idea how many people in the room. What do you think? Seventy? What? Eighty-five? Okay.
So 85 divided by 3 is about, let's say, 26, and we can always add on to that. So you want to start? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. Why don't you start with 1? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, I uh, know you're 25, and then there's just two left. So why don't you be 25, Megan? Is it? And then you can be 24. So 25 and 24 will have four people in the group. And why don't you guys go out on the benches? 24 and 25 on the benches. 23 in my office. 22 in Shelley's office. 21, 20, 19. In the, and let's do 18 also in the community room, 17, 16 in the lobby, uh, 15 out by the shed on the lawn furniture, that was 15, 16 on the table in the workshop in the basement, 14, 14 in the workshop in the basement, 13 on the white couch, 12 in the shoe area in the basement, you can get some folding chairs there. Uh, that was 12, right? 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Okay, so 6, and then right there is 5, right there is 4, 3 and 2, you're also going to be in the community room, and 1, you're going to be in the lobby. Once you guys meet, you can find your own place, of course. Feel free to get chairs. Let me just remind you, because some people are new and haven't been in these small groups before. So we've got, let me just do a short review. So you're going to sit really close so you don't have to speak so loud. That way it won't be hard to hear each other. So as close as you're comfortable sitting, first thing you, you do is you tell each other your names. Then you decide on an order so you don't have to think about the order later. If you're within earshot, I'll ring the bell. You'll know the time schedule. But if you're not within earshot of this bell, then one of you has to be a timer. And then when somebody's speaking, you just stay in the awareness of your body. You don't have to ask any questions to the person or even nod. You can even have your eyes closed if you want. You don't have to. You're just practicing being present. And if you're really present with your body, you're going to be present with what the person is saying. Each person gets to speak for three minutes or so. Then after everyone's had three minutes, then the rest of the time, which will be five or seven minutes, you can just have an informal discussion together. 
And I'll give about a one-minute warning when it's time, before it's time to come back. So we'll come back with about two or three minutes before nine so that we can close up together as a group. Okay? Hopefully you didn't forget your number or your location. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.